Let's pray. Holy Spirit, ask that you would come and take these words and from Scripture and the words that I'm going to speak and apply them to our lives, apply them to our hearts, and help us to live them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to welcome those of you who are watching this in the community center. It is great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. This week, I saw an ad for a new gym that is opening up on the east side, and it said, you're nobody until somebody important sees you working out here. You're nobody until somebody important sees you working out here. And I thought, wow, what a cynical appeal to our insecurities and, affirma- and need for affirmation. I wonder how much it costs to join. <laughs> we all want to be noticed. I mean, you can see it in little kids, right? Mommy, Daddy, look at me. Watch me jump. Watch me swing. Look at me. Right now, of course, as adults, we never display that behavior. Never any kind of behavior that's basically saying, look at my salary, look at my achievements, look at the gym I go to, watch me. We all want to be noticed because we all want to know that we matter, that we are making a difference, that we have significance. It's one of the deepest longings of the human heart. So the passage we read today is good news because in it the Apostle Paul basically is saying to us, you have no idea how significant you are. The God of the universe has selected you for a pivotal role in his rescue mission to this planet. You have a calling from God, a personal individualized calling from God himself to make a difference for him in this world. What is your calling? Because we all have it. Whether you're nine or 90, we all have a calling from God. What is it? Because until you know it, you will be like a light bulb looking for a lamp to plug into, not doing what you were designed to do, and as a result, feeling unfulfilled. Now, sometimes we get this, the word calling can be kind of mysterious. We think only certain people have it. You know, Mother Teresa or pastors, they have a calling. That's not true. All of us have a calling. Or sometimes we associate it with our job. But you know what? Calling goes deeper than job. Calling is who we are. It's what we were designed to do as part of God's rescue mission. And that can be expressed in just about any job. For instance, your calling may be to be an encourager or a mentor. You could do that in any job. My calling is a pastor, but that's way more than a job for me. Before, as a pastor, I taught at universities, and I always did it in a very sort of pastoral way. You know, I was that teacher that was always asking the students, how's your life going? I I was always wanting to talk about God more than just grades and paper, right? Pastor is who I am. I could be a truck driver, and I'd do it in a pastoral way, except when someone cut me off. (laughs) I was talking uh, this week to a young man who grew up in our church, and he's now uh, trying to break into the music industry in L.A., which, as you know, is a very kind of difficult, dysfunctional scene. A lot of drugs, a lot of kind of sexual values that are unhealthy. But he doesn't participate in any of that. But not in a judgmental way, but in a way, in a sort of, I've got something more exciting than this way that makes you want to join him. And he says, I I feel like I'm living in this giant toilet bowl, but I'm the plunger. (laughs) I thought, what a great description of call. His job is musician, but his call is, well, cultural plunger. What's your call? See, the bottom line, guys, is God wants to make much of your life. God wants to make much of your life. 
And in the passage that we read, in this passage that we read, the Apostle Paul gives us some clues about how to discover our call, what we were designed to do. And the first thing he tells us about calling is that it always has something to do with bringing outsiders in. God's mission is to undo the damage that the devil has done. And a big part of that is bringing folks who are on the outside for some kind of reason, cast aside, back into God's love and back into God's grace. Now, in this passage, Paul talks about how Jesus took the outsiders of his day, which were the Gentiles, who the Jews viewed as morally inferior, and he brought them into God's love and grace and put them together into one church, one family, Jews and Gentiles, through Jesus. Now, in our day, we have all kinds of outsiders. Some people are marginalized because of poverty or injustice. Some people are lonely or socially marginalized. And a whole lot of folk are out there are outside in the sense that they don't know how much Jesus loves them. And whatever our call is, it will involve bringing outsiders of some kind inside God's love and redemption. When I was in seminary, I worked at a church that could kind of best be described as an exclusive country club. I mean, when people, sometimes when people gave money to the church, some of them would write on their checks, do not use to help the poor. For the building only. And I remember this one congregational meeting where they were arguing over how much of the budget should go to poverty relief. And one man said something like, you know, we shouldn't give any money for that. You know, we need to invest in our 200-year-old building. People come from miles around to see it. And why we've got one of the finest organs in the county and, and our choir is very dedicated. Dedicated is church speak for they sound awful, right? <laughs> N- not our musicians. They, they're not dedicated. They just sound really good, right? And they're dedicated. Besides, he said, we help lots of people. Then from the back of the room, an elderly lady said, oh, put a cork in it, Frank. (laughs) We don't help anybody but ourselves, and you know it, but we should because Jesus was all about the outsiders. She understood God's call. Whatever our role in God's rescue mission to this planet, whether it's helping folks in poverty or helping a lonely person find friendship, it will always mean bringing outsiders inside to God's love and redemption and helping them know that Jesus loves them. Second thing Paul tells us about call is that it's God that makes our lives significant, not our own efforts, which is really good news. Because the biggest hindrance to the ways that God wants to make much of our lives is ourselves. We have all kinds of reasons why we don't think it's going to work, right? I don't have time. It sounds hard. It seems risky. But I think one of our biggest excuses is we don't feel qualified. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right skills. Nobody's going to respect me. What difference can I make? And Paul gets at this when he says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. As Paul recognizes his inadequacy. I mean, he put Christians in prison and helped to have them murder, right? Not the guy the pastor search committee is going to select. Talk about inadequate. But Paul knows that it, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He does it through us. And this is why it's an adventure. If you think that you can do your call, you haven't found your call yet. Because call, by definition, is bigger than what we can do. But that's the adventure of it. Because God can do more through us than we can imagine or than we think that we can do through his power, not ours. I mean, look at the Bible. The folks in that thing are a mess, right? But God did great things through them. 
I mean, Noah was drunk. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David committed murder and adultery. Isaiah preached naked. Awkward. <laughs> right? Naomi complained about everything. Martha worried about everything. John the Baptist ate bugs. Zacchaeus was too small and Lazarus was dead. What's your excuse? <laughs> through God's power, not our own, he can do more than we can imagine through us. Third thing Paul says about our call is that it is cosmically significant. Paul says that through you and me, the wisdom of God should be made known to the authorities in the heavenly realms. Not just on earth, but cosmically. You see, this isn't just about us doing some good deeds to feel better about ourselves. That's not it. Doing good deeds to feel better about ourselves, the, 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 the feeling of that lasts a couple of days and then it's gone. But we do not feel significant when we do that, and that's our deepest need. Significance comes only when we find our place in what God is doing in history, and when we live in a way that makes God look good, not just to people around us, but even in front of the angels and the demons. We are part of a cosmic battle. And when we respond to God's call to be part of that battle, we make God look good and put the devil to shame, cosmically. You know, God says to the devil, you know, look at that, red legs. You create poverty, they alleviate it. You create loneliness, they bring community. You cause pain, they heal it, all through my power. When we respond to God's call, we show all of creation that Jesus is good. It's way more than just doing a good deed to feel good about ourselves. We experience significance only when we bring glory to God when we're part of what he's doing. And then when we do that, our lives get bigger, richer, deeper, better because we are part of a cosmic adventure that is bigger than we are. Not that it's easy, right? At the end of this passage, Paul says that he is suffering for the sake of his call. There will be suffering, but also a bigger, better, richer, deeper life. So, how do we find God's call? How do we know what we were designed to do? I could preach a three-hour sermon on that. I won't. Instead, I'll give you three questions to ask that are also written in the question section of the bulletin to help you figure this out. First, what is your narrative thread? What is your narrative thread of your life? Write down as long a list as you can of the most rewarding experiences you've had. Jobs, hobbies, sports, volunteer work, whatever it is. And then ask, what's the narrative thread that connects them all? What are the common themes in all of them? What did they all have in common that you found meaning in? For instance, for you, your call may be justice. You just always seem to be bringing justice wherever you go. Job, hobbies, sports teams, you just care about justice. So for instance, maybe at work, when you see something unjust happen, you feel like you just want to fix it. And you've always done that. Or when someone's left out, you just want to befriend them. Maybe for you, it's being an encourager or a mentor. You just always seem to do that wherever you go. What, is, what are the narrative threads of your life? The reoccurring themes, patterns. What does your life seem to want to do with you? Second question, what's in your hand? When God calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery, he, Moses, whines, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. And God says, Moses, what's in your hand? Now, at the time, the only thing he has in his hand is a shepherd's staff. But it is that shepherd's staff that is going to part the Red Sea, draw water from the rock, and lead the people to freedom. 
It's an ordinary thing, but with God, it became extraordinary. Not only that, but the fact that Moses was a shepherd meant that he knew how to guide stubborn sheep through the desert to the cool waters and the green pastures, a skill set God can use to lead stubborn people to the promised land. What's in your hand that God can do extraordinary things with? How about your pain? In this church, we have things like divorce recovery or cancer support groups led by people who've gone through those things themselves. And out of that pain, they can comfort others. God can use your hobbies, your interests, your connections, your job. I recently heard about a 19-year-old guy named Johnny, and he heard a pastor talk about making a difference, but he didn't think he had anything to offer since he had Down syndrome. And his job was as a bagger in a grocery store. But then he had this idea. He thought every night he would find a really good thought for the day, and if he couldn't find one someplace, he'd make one up. Then every night, he and his dad would enter that saying into the computer and print it up 300 times, that thought for the day. And Johnny signed everyone personally. Then next day at work, when he finished bagging someone's groceries, he'd put that saying on top of their last bag, and he'd look that person in the eye, and he'd say, I put a great saying in your bag. I hope it helps you have a good day. Thank you for coming in. Well, about a month after he started doing this, his manager noticed that the checkout line at Johnny's station were always the longest. And they'd open up a new checkout stand, but folks would say, no thanks, we'll wait for Johnny's line. Okay, to me, that's a miracle, right? Like, I am always looking for the shortest line. And that self-checkout thing, what a great invention, right? (laughs) But that's how big a difference Johnny was making. One woman told the manager, I used to come in here once a week, but now I come in here every day because I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. It just makes me feel better. The manager also noticed that it started changing the culture of the store. When the flower department had an unused corsage or a broken flower, they used to just throw it away. But now they'd go out into the aisles, find an elderly woman or a little girl and pin it on them. The bakery started giving away broken bits of cookies. The repair people made it so that the wheels on those carts actually worked. (laughs) It changed the whole culture of the store. What was Johnny's call? Encourager, healer, joy bringer. What was in his hand? Not much by our culture standards, Down syndrome, grocery store bagger, right? But he used his job, his gift of encouragement to help stressed out people feel loved and included. And it didn't even take much time. You know, call is not something we have to pencil into our busy busy schedule. He did it as part of his regular life. What's in your hand? Finally, third question, what makes you feel God's joy? There's a movie in the 80s called Chariots of Fire about the runner, Eric Liddell. And in one scene, he says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And the rest of the movie is about how he glorified God through running. How would you complete that sentence? God made me blank, and when I blank, I feel his joy. What's your narrative thread? What's in your hand? What makes you feel God's joy? Ask your friends that question. See what they say. And in prayer, ask God those questions and then listen for the thoughts that come into your head. Some of them may be your thoughts, but some of them may be God's. Don't try to figure out which is which as you pray. Just write them all down and then later discern which came from God. Because when we hear and respond to our Father's call to participate in what he's doing, our deep longing for significance is finally met. There's a woman in our church who is a doctor And I would say that her call is to heal poverty and injustice. 
And one time she told me a story about one time a young woman came to see her who was pregnant but wasn't married or finished with college. And this young woman didn't really want to terminate the pregnancy but felt that she had no other option. So the doctor from our church said, well, let's talk about options. The young woman was from South America and didn't know if she could get through all the bureaucracy of getting married in America and all of that. So this doctor contacted a priest she knew who helped move them through the bureaucracy and who also counseled this young couple to, to make sure their relationship was strong enough to get married, which they did, and have a great marriage to this day. But the doctor from our church didn't stop there. She and her husband continued to support this young family after the baby was born. Just one example, for instance, one time the baby wasn't sleeping for days and days. You know how that goes. This young couple was exhausted. So this doctor from our church and her husband went and picked up the baby, told the couple to go to sleep, went with the baby, bought some ice cream, and drove around and around until the baby fell asleep. Okay, where was this doctor when my wife and I needed that? Like, talk about a house call, right? Well, eventually, this young couple moved away. But years later, the doctor saw them again. And she turned to the daughter and she said, well, hello, Marie. And the daughter looked at her mom and said, how does she know my name? And the mom said, oh, trust me. She has a very good reason to know your name. This doctor was part of God's rescue mission to this planet helping people who were marginalized in our culture until they were up and on their feet. And now a young woman in her 20s or maybe 30s by now has a life and possibilities because this doctor was there to save her, literally. And for this doctor, she knows that she matters. She knows that she has significance because she is part of what God is doing. She's now 80 years old and still bringing justice and caring for the poor in all kinds of ways. You see, when you are moving in your call, doing what you were designed to do, you may go to bed at night wondering if you did it well. You may go to bed at night tired and exhausted from having spent yourself in a worthy cause, but you never lay your head on the pillow and think, man, do I matter at all? Or am I just going to work, buying things, and getting up and doing it all over again? When you are moving in your call, you know that your life has significance, that you matter. My call is one of the most sacred things there is to me. Not my job, my call. To connect people to the heart of God. And I can do that. I could be a dentist and do that. I did it as a teacher. And that call has cost me. It cost me at Stanford to be an out-of-the-closet Christian. It cost me to leave behind my former career as an academic. And I don't know what books I'll never write. And I don't know what endowed share I'll never have. I don't know and I don't care. Because whatever I lost is cheap at twice the price for what I gained. Amazing friendships with so many of you. A closer connection to God and moments of seeing God do more than I could ever have imagined. Marriages healed. Rwandan street kids being rescued from poverty. People plagued by fear, worry, addictions set free in Jesus' name. So will you ask those questions to God that I put in the bulletin? so that you can know your place in his rescue operation and find significance. I saw a bumper sticker last week that asked a profound philosophical question. What if the hokey pokey is what it's all about? <laughs> I certainly hope not, because I can never get my left foot in and my right foot out on time, and 
You know, that not, not to even mention shake it all about, which is just awkward for me. When we are not moving in our call, life can feel like the hokey pokey. Left foot in, right foot out, go to work, buy some stuff, do it all over again, shake it all about. But when we are moving in our call, we have cosmic significance and joy, 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 where? Down in our hearts, down in our hearts to stay. Because like a sailboat on a reach or a race car rounding a corner at 90 miles an hour, we're doing exactly what we were designed to do. So what is in your, what's your call? And what is in your hand that God can use for your joy and his glory? Holy Spirit, we can't figure that out on our own. So will you open our hearts and our minds to hear from the Father our unique place in his rescue operation. Holy Spirit, help us to do this. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.